Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about Romans chapter 7 between verses 14 and 25. And my purpose for the previous program was to show you that Paul was not just trying to shift blame and blame sin within him for the sin that he was committing. He was not shifting blame. He was taking personal responsibility for the sins that he had committed. He was saying that there was a part within him that did not want to engage in sin. There was a part within him that did want to engage in sin. And that, to me, shows that there is a struggle that we all deal with. We all deal with this struggle of the fact that he has not completed the work that he began within us. He did begin to do a work within us, and what he did was he did begin to change us. He began to transform us so that there is a part within us. There is a part of who we really are that does not want to engage in sin, just as there is a part within us, a part of who we are, that does want to engage in sin. Now, because he does not hold our sins against us anymore, because he forgave all of our sins, he does not condemn us whether we obey or we don't obey. Whether we do that which is good or we do that which is evil, there is no condemnation that he presents to us in Christ Jesus. And this, of course, is important because if he did have any condemnation towards us, then there would be no way that we could walk in the newness of life that he was actually called us to. So I was explaining this in the previous program, and in this program what I would like to do is consider Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25 from a Jewish point of view. And what I mean by a Jewish point of view is the point of view of the Jews during the time when this letter was written. The Jews identified themselves with the Mosaic Law. They lived a life devoted to trying to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law. And they sincerely believed that because of the obedience that was described by their flesh, because of that, because of the behavior of their flesh, they were showing that the law was good. They were showing that the law was good because they obeyed the law, and because of that, they were blessed by God, they were blessed by their obedience or for their obedience. There were different ways that they considered that, that they looked at that. But what I want you to get in touch with right now is that they believed that the expression of their flesh was their way of showing that the law was good. They also believed that the benefits that they received in their flesh was the confirmation that the law was good. Paul says something entirely different here. He says that the reason why he testifies that the law is good, he testifies that the law is good because he wants to obey the law. Not because he does, but because he wants to. That his desire to do so shows and demonstrates that there is nothing wrong with the law at all. 
Now, of course, the religious Jews would never confess, they would never admit to violating the Mosaic Law. They would never say that they sin. They would never do that, and there are many ways that they can handle circumstances and situations where it appears that they have sinned, and in my opinion, they did. There were many ways that they could resolve that in their own minds because of their theology, because of what they believed concerning the law and obedience to it. I certainly am not going to attempt to get into those details right now for the sake of time. Instead, what I want to do is emphasize the point that Paul gives validation for the law, not because of the actions in his flesh, like the religious Jews were doing. He was giving validation for the law because of what he wanted to do in his heart. And for him to say that he did things that he did not want to do, for a religious Jew, makes no sense at all. What do you mean you did things that you didn't want to do? If you have a problem with that, just come to us and we'll tell you how to change your life, how to live your life differently. We'll give you some principles to live by. We'll give you some activities to get involved in. We'll get you distracted in some way. They could have responded in that way and said, Paul, we have no idea what you're talking about. We have a way to live so that you will never do what you don't want to do. But for Paul to say that he did do things that he didn't want to do, not because he didn't have the right lifestyle to live by, but he did things that he didn't want to do in conflict with what was going on in his heart, those are two different things. Those are two completely different issues. And I want you to see that the people who would read this, they would struggle with this because they would say, well, my goodness, I want to do that which is right, and I do that which is right because I want to be blessed. Paul, on the other hand, is saying, I want to do that which is right because that is who I am as a person. That is who God has made me to be. Not because I want to be blessed in my flesh, but because I'm a different individual, because I have been recreated into someone totally different. So that's what he's doing here, is he's giving a completely different explanation concerning why he would behave in the way that he is. He's giving a different explanation concerning the purpose and the role of the law. And he's showing deep down inside that there is an issue concerning the heart, the heart of individuals that needs to be addressed, that the religious Jews were not addressing, but that he found the Messiah addressed this matter. He found that the Messiah dealt with this issue and presented this issue. So beginning in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. He's talking about doing things that he doesn't want to do and doing things that he hates. The religious Jew would have said, well, what is that? That doesn't mean anything. You should do the things that you are supposed to do regardless of whether you want to do them or not. You should do it because it's the right thing to do. You should do it because God will punish you or you should do it because he will bless you. But regardless of that, what does this have to do with anything? Doing something that you don't want to do or doing something that you do want to do, that doesn't have any meaning in religious pharisaical Judaism. It had no meaning to the people at that time. It was not even a consideration. So Paul is introducing new things to the religious world. And I do believe that many of the religious Jews were recipients of this letter when it was delivered to the people, to the church in Rome. Continuing in verse 16, he says, But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, 
I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Now, for them to say that they do the things that they do not want to do, but they do it anyway, they are not really saying that the law is good. Again, when a person obeys God according to the law, even though they don't want to do it, they are not saying that the law is good. When a person repents from their sin, even though deep down inside they don't really want to repent, they are not saying that the law is good. It is only when your heart, it is only when who you are within the inner depths of your person, it's only then when you as an individual want to do the law, only then will you be saying that it is good. And until then, you are not really saying that the law is good. So what Paul was saying was that he believed and he confessed that the law is good for the right reasons. And they, referring to the religious Jews, were not saying that the law was good for the right reasons, but for the wrong reasons, for fleshly reasons, for sinful reasons, for the reasons that God did not want. He wanted them to say that the law was good for other reasons, but it shows the emptiness within their hearts compared with the fullness in his heart. It shows that their hearts were empty and his heart was full. When your heart is full, it is easy for you to say that there is nothing wrong with the law, that the law is good. When your heart is empty, it's hard to do that. The only way you can do that is through the attraction, the appeal, the blessings, or the desire to avoid punishment for your sin. It is for other motivations. And I know this can be very difficult for people to see until after they have been resurrected and they are being led by the Spirit of God. It's very difficult to be able to distinguish between the two things that I am saying. And so for those of you who are immature in Christ, just give it some time, and I think you'll be able to appreciate what I'm talking about. For those of you who are mature in Christ, I believe you'll know exactly what I'm saying. Now, continuing in verse 17, he says, So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I was explaining this in the previous program. In verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. So what he says is he says, listen, I know what's right, I know what's good, I know what the law is. In fact, my very existence, my desire to live in obedience to it shows and demonstrates that I believe that there is nothing wrong with the law, that it is holy that it is righteous. Instead, what I want you to see is that there is something wrong with me and that the living God is going to have to do something serious with me. He's going to have to do some serious work of some kind to change who I am in a greater way so that I will say no to sin. And until he does that, I probably will. He said that this is the struggle that we live in in the transition of him beginning the work and ending the work, that we are the work in progress, that there is a work taking place in the present time. In verse 20, But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And I explained that in the previous program. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. 
But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. He says that there is an inner man, and of course by default he says therefore that there is an outer man, that there is a part within him that has been changed, and there is a part within him that has not been changed. This is the description of the work in progress. That's what he's talking about. And through that, he is able to say that there is a war waging within him. Now, the law makes the war much more difficult because the law stirs up sin. That's why he has to be dead to the law. When he is deceived by the law to suggest that he is to live by it, then he is going to fall for it, and he is going to fall because the law stirs up sin. Not because there's something wrong with the law, but because there is something wrong with us. Instead, you need to embrace the reality that the law was given for that purpose. God gave it to stir up sin, to show us and to demonstrate to us that the only way we can function, the only way that we can truly live is by depending on Him. We have to turn to Him. We have to be led by Him. We have to be guided by Him. We have to be resurrected by the indwelling presence of His Spirit. And we have to be guided and instructed and led by the Spirit of God within us, not by the law of God trying to get our flesh under control, that He has to do a work within our very being. What He says in verse 24 then is, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, what he says here in verse 25 is that he has two different laws. That's what he introduces, that there are two different laws. And this is difficult for people to consider because, for the most part, people are preoccupied with the law of sin and death. But there is another law. In fact, this law was necessary in order to supersede or in order to set us free from the previous law. And that's how he begins to use it, how he begins to use the differences between the law of God and the law of sin to say that we have been set free and that we need to walk in a different law, in a different system of law. Now, when he says that he is a wretched man and who will set him free from the body of this death, of course, he's referring to the law of sin and death. He's referring to the condemnation that he would receive if he was under the law of Moses that God gave. If he was under the letter of the law that was the law of Moses, if he was under that, then he would be under the condemnation of God. But, of course, he has set us free. Our God has set us free from that law by forgiving our sins and resurrecting us from the dead. In that way, we became dead to the law and we also became dead to sin. So just as we are dead to the law, so we can also say we are dead to sin. And in that context, we can say it is no longer I who sins. It is the part of me that the Lord is leaving in its place while he is doing a work within me so that I can grow to know who he is. That's something entirely different. But we are dead to sin just as we are dead to the law. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't commit sin, and it doesn't mean that we don't do that which is right even when we don't want to. It doesn't mean that. We do that, but in terms of our identity in Christ, in terms of who we are in Him, in terms of how He sees us and how He relates to us, 
Now, please understand that the Lord doesn't live in denial. He knows that we commit sin. He knows that we do things that are evil. And he also knows that we commit sin when we do things that are good and we don't really want to. That is another form of sin. He doesn't live in denial. He knows what's going on. But he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't hold it against us. He continues to show himself to us. He continues to reveal things to us, to grow us and mature us, to work within us, to complete the work that he began. He continues to do that, and he is able to do so because he no longer has to hold our sins against us, and he won't hold our sins against us because of what he did on the cross. Now, in terms of service, in terms of service in verse 25, he says that he is serving the law of God with his mind, even though he is also serving the law of sin with his flesh. Now, I believe that he's talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about the law of Moses by serving that law in his flesh in the same way that I described in the previous program when I said that sometimes... I do things even though I don't want to do things. I do things that are good, and sometimes I do things that are evil, even though deep down inside another part of me does not really want to do that. But regardless of whether I do things that are good or evil, both are still sin, and both are still based on the law of sin, the law of sin and death, as God revealed it through Moses. There is, however, another law. That's what he says in verse 25, that there is a law of God. Now, was the law of sin and death the law of God? Of course, yes, it was the law of God, but it is not the only law of God. In this case, there are two different laws of God, and they are given for two completely different reasons. They do not compete with each other. In fact, they can coexist simultaneously. So I want you to understand that one is not necessarily a replacement for the other. Instead, one is another that we live by instead of living by the other. It's not really a replacement because they were given for two different reasons. If I say that the law of God is a replacement for the law of sin and death, it can be very misleading, and I don't want to do that. Because if I did that, I would suggest that we could have accomplished something through the law of sin and death, and he replaced it with something that was easier to live by, and I I don't want to do that. I want you to understand that the law of sin and death was given to show us our condition of being spiritually dead and to show us our condition of being sinful. That's what it was given for. So when he talks about the law of God in this other context, he's talking about something that was given for another reason. The law of God was given for the reason of giving us the opportunity to walk in the new covenant, of walking in the newness of life. It does by default set us free from the law of sin and death, but it is not a replacement in that context. It sets us free, but it does not replace it. It does not replace it because it can still be used for the purpose that it was given for. If you ever have a need to be reminded of the fact that you only live on the basis of his mercy, then just turn to the law of sin and death, and it will show you that that's the case. If the law of God, which he's going to refer to as the law of the spirit of life, if that replaces that law, well then what happens when you need to be reminded that you only live according to his mercy? If it's been replaced, it doesn't exist. It has no place in your life for that reason. 
And that is what I want you to understand, that both can exist simultaneously as long as they are used for the intended purposes that they were given for. But of course, when it comes to your life in Christ, when it comes to your maturity in Christ Jesus, when it comes to growing in your relationship with him, when it comes to that, the law of sin and death has no place. But when it comes to showing you or others that they do not have a relationship with him and they will never have a relationship with him outside of his forgiveness and mercy, we can use it. We can use it right now. We can use it today. Even though there is another law that has set us free from it, it is still there and it can be utilized for the intended purpose that it was given for. So beginning in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There are some translations or some versions that don't give verse 2 in that sense. But I want you to understand that regardless of whether it's there or not, it still expresses the truth. The truth is still there that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So regardless of whether you do what you don't want to do or you don't do what you want to do, regardless of any of that, there is still no condemnation that regardless of whether or not he has completed the work within you or you are a work in progress, regardless of any of that, there is still no condemnation. There is a reason why there has to be no condemnation. And the reason why is that there is no way that he can love and accept you perfectly if there is any opportunity for condemnation. So I want you to see that you had to be set free from the law of sin and death, which is the ministry of condemnation, because if you were not set free from it, then there would be no way that you could possibly walk in the newness of life. There would be no way that you could be loved or accepted by your God. There would be no way that he would be able to reveal himself to you because there is no way that he could ever be in your presence at all in any way whatsoever because of how evil you really are. So please see that there is the law of God and there is the law of sin, which is the law of good and evil, the definition of what sin is. I want you to see that, and I want you to see that there is now no condemnation because one law has set you free from another. The law of God is something that we serve in our minds, even though we still struggle in our flesh with the law of sin. So how do we serve both? How do we live in both? Again, because the law of sin in our flesh deals with the issues of our flesh And the law of the Spirit deals with the issues concerning our spirit and the issues concerning the transformation of our heart. Consider it this way. Are you aware of any commandment in the law of Moses that said anything about if you will obey, he will transform your heart? Of course not. Absolutely nothing. Do you recall anything in the law where the law said if you will repent from your sin and obey the commandments of God, then you would know your God. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so if you ever, ever want to know your God, if you are ever going to have a relationship with Him, if you are ever going to be loved by Him, if you are ever going to get anywhere with Him, 
not getting your flesh under control, but if you're going to get anywhere with knowing him, then it is going to have to be accomplished on the basis of an entirely different existence. And this law of God that he is speaking of is the different existence. It is the different architecture that begins with the forgiveness of sin so that there is no longer any condemnation. That's where it starts. That is where the new life in Christ begins. Now, for the law of God to supersede the law of sin and death, it accomplishes it through forgiveness. Because he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore, that is what supersedes the law of sin and death because because the law of sin and death demands obedience or death. Either you stop sinning or you die. The law of God was instituted by the death of God, which was given on our behalf to fulfill the demands of the law. So it's not a replacement, it is a fulfillment. The new covenant does not replace the old, it fulfills the demands of the old so that a new covenant can be instituted and we can now walk on the basis of the newness of life. It is not a replacement, it is a fulfillment and introduces a new way of living that is totally separate and independent of the law. That is how he is able to get past doing things that he doesn't want to do how he's able to get past that and continue to walk in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his sinfulness, and how our God is able to relate to him in the midst of his sinfulness, in the midst of his sin. He will be able to relate to you, do a work within you. He will be able to reside within you, walk with you, talk with you, teach you, and lead you. He will be able to accomplish all of that Because he no longer holds your sins against you, he has instituted a new law that makes that possible. So please understand that both laws can exist simultaneously. They are compatible with each other. They can both exist and function in our lives, in the lives of the people in this world, simultaneously, because they deal with two completely different issues. Two completely different concerns. So what I'm going to do in the next program is I'm going to expand on what it means to live according to the law of God and the law of the spirit of life. I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net